welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Hello, everyone, and good morning. You have no rival, you have no equal, you know. It's a song that when it came out, it's like you heard all the time, but for whatever reason, that line for me, it's just, oh, just gets me right in the core. I just love uh, the power of that melody and um, just what you experience just kind of there in that bridge. It's just awesome. Um, Everybody, I want to say a good thank you to those of us who are joining us online and uh, those of our community who are sick today or not well. We're praying for you. We love you guys and hope that you still have a blessed morning with family as well. Um, and everybody who's here, thanks so much for joining us this morning. And uh, it is Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that they tell you. They don't tell you. Actually, it's sort of an unspoken thing, you know, as far as being a pastor or learning about preaching, is that you, kind of, you stay away from three topics. Stay away from money, sex, and politics. I'm going to talk about one of those things today. Some of you are really excited. Some, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. So I was be like, let's go talk about sex. Calm down. Talk about money, people. Talk about money today. I knew I was going to get that reaction. And, and, and here's the thing. Why are those three so important? Why are those three hot-button topics? Well, also because the Bible, you know what, and here's the funny thing too, because the Bible talks about those three topics a lot, especially money, and especially sex. The Bible talks about those ones. And it's because they relate so much to our identity. It relates so much to who we are, what we think and feel about those three topics, especially sex and especially money. It says a lot about who we are. It says a lot about what we depend on, where our strength comes from, what makes us feel good or not good. It says a lot about our quality of life. You know, that's why games like Monopoly are trouble. Okay? Listen, listen. I have a problem. When it comes to Monopoly, I get pretty competitive. Anybody in here? Okay? Don't mess with Park Place. I'm going to Park Place, don't get in the way, okay? You know you need Park Place to win that game. If somebody else gets Park Place before me, I'm like, oh man, chips are down. I get upset, right? So competitive. But that's why those games get exciting because, you know, like it's money, it's accumulating wealth, and, you know, and it gets really competitive in that sense. And then you're using money, right? But this is paper stuff that has a limited value uh, for a limited time and for a limited arena, which is just basically the game. If I ran around with Monopoly money trying to make purchases, people would say, well, there's a place you can go <laughs> where people think this is real money. Uh, Canada, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> there's, there's, a place, there's a place where you could go 
Anyway, you understand what I'm saying. It's fake. It's not the real stuff. I'm not trying to go around trying to find security or financial security with play money. I'm in trouble. In the passage we're looking at today, Jesus talks about fake money or money that's true and genuine in comparison to fake money. passage we're looking at today, Jesus takes a look at two types of wealth. I say money and wealth, and we're talking about the same thing. Jesus talks about two types of wealth. He talks about a genuine wealth, a true wealth that believers can pursue and attain. And then also a not genuine or true wealth that believers can attain. Now here's the tricky thing. He's talking about these two kinds of wealth, but both of them have value. Only one has far more significant value than the other. We'd say that there is, in this passage we're going to look at, we're going to talk about earthly wealth, worldly wealth. Some translations in this, or in this passage we're looking at call it unrighteous wealth. And this category is what you would call insecure wealth. It's not, it's not wealth that you would say you want to put all of your time and effort into. It has value to God, but in comparison to genuine, true wealth that God would call, that Jesus would call in the Gospels over and over again. You'll see him always talking about money and then talk about this kind of wealth, heavenly wealth, spiritual wealth, riches that God gives you. Righteous wealth. In comparison to the other kind, this is much and this is little. And he makes a very clear distinction that if we put too much confidence in the other kind of wealth, other than this one, then we're going to be not, I wanted to say robbed, but robbed might not be correct. If we put too much focus on this kind of wealth, we can get distracted from the quality of life we could have when we're focusing on true riches that come from God. And we're going to be talking about that. What does that look like? What is it? We all struggle in some way, shape, or form with both of these, understanding both of these and how they play out in our lives. And... No matter where you are on this subject, you know what I'm talking about, earthly, worldly, unrighteous. It's, just, it's the money that we deal with every day, the money that's in our bank account, the money that provides for the house that you have, the money that you have to provide for your family, the money that you have or don't have. If our confidence is in that, then we are in true financial insecurity, whether you have lots or you have little whether you're doing your best to get by or you're doing your best with finances to have a quality of life, but then kind of, you know, you don't have enough to do the things you want to do, right? You're having a lot of fun with this, but you can't go on the vacations you want, so you're kind of hungering for more money and, it's, and that's on your mind and it's consuming you. Or maybe you have a lot of money. Maybe you have enough wealth that you're actually responsible for other people's well-being and their livelihood because of your wealth. If... In any of those scenarios, you're putting all of your confidence in that. What is that going to do? It's going to give you increased anxiety, increased stress. Matter of fact, I'm talking about this, and you're thinking about how you think about money and how it affects you and how it affects how you see yourself and your family and your quality of life. Matter of fact, 
Some people would say, if you look carefully at your budget, it might even demonstrate or point to something in your life that is of more value to you than another. Because whatever we spend our money on, wherever our treasure is, as sometimes the Bible says, it's where our heart can be also. And so we're looking, no matter where you're at, you can have a lot of money and be stressed out about caring for people, or you can be stressed out about what are you going to do with all those finances, what is going to happen in my future, or what is going to happen in the retirement, how am I going to leave this money for my family, I'm, I'm in this family feud with somebody, I can't give this money to them, I can't do this. You can have in the middle, or you can have not very much. Either way, it's financial insecurity if you're putting your confidence in something that the Bible says is fleeting. It's a limited value for a limited time in a limited arena in comparison to wealth that has unlimited value for unlimited time, which is your past, your present, and your future, eternal riches, for an unlimited arena. It's like it affects everything you do. The riches that come from God. You know, I was nervous about this subject because what I don't want to do is I don't want us to put too much focus in the wrong place because Jesus makes it very clear in this passage how God looks at both of these. Not that this one doesn't have value. Again, limited value for a limited time, our earthly period of time. And God values how we use that. And how we use it also demonstrates what we think of God and how we're thinking of him and how we're processing our relationship with him. But if we forget about what we have here, if we're putting all of our focus on that and we don't find our security in what we have in him, that we are the righteous children of God, that we are adopted children of God, that all the riches of heaven, our inheritance that we have through him, we don't focus on that. If our minds aren't focused on that or turned to it, then we've put ourselves in an insecure place, putting our confidence in sand rather than standing on the rock. You see, true wealth is this. This is what true wealth actually is. True wealth is knowing and being known by the giver of wealth. Can we get that on the screen there? True wealth is knowing and being known by the giver of wealth. Whether we have a lot of money or not, money is only a tool to know the Father's love. Money is only a tool to know his affirmation and care. It's, an, it's a way for us to experience, it's a shadow experience of how much he wants to provide for us. How much he wants to demonstrate his love for us. And so how we handle this will give us a demonstration, will give us an understanding of knowing him in a new, and knowing him in, in a new way, but in, also in, mount, in manifold ways. And when we are freed from the burden of financial insecurity, putting too much confidence in what is, has limited value for a limited time, when we put too much confidence in that, what happens, again, is that we have the burden of doing things in the flesh. We're, we're focusing on our confidence of doing what we can to protect ourselves with something that's temporal, that's going to pass away. But instead, when we're focusing on the riches that we have in him, we're standing on the rock, and we are consciously faithful to him and not just faithful with money, we get freed from the burden of having to do it on our own ability. And we can trust on his ability in and through us to instruct us on how we're to handle our finances and how to also do his will with what he has given us, whether it is heavenly or earthly. 
It's all given by him. And he wants to manage and steward what he's given to us in, in and through us. One last thing before we read this passage. See, any unbeliever can be faithful with money. Anybody who's not a believer of Christ could be faithful with money. That's not hard. You have to find out the right things to do with your finances to protect yourself and to protect your loved ones and to provide for the future or maybe provide for your family's future. Anyone can learn that. Those tips are out there. They're on the internet. Everyone's heard of the internet. That's where you can get that stuff. You can be faithful with money, but we haven't been called to just be faithful with money. We have the blessing and the privilege to be faithful to him with our money and respond to his instruction and respond to his leading in joy in how we use it. Let me just pray quickly before we read this passage together. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning that you would open up our our ears to hear from you. And uh, I pray that more than anything, I mean, we're, we're talking about finances, but I mean, it's all just what you give, you know, whether it's finances or possessions or anything. Um, we, we just want to be able to see you this morning. And so you've already presented yourself adequately through your word, but I pray this morning that you would speak through me to touch our hearts, that we would look beyond just what we have and what we don't have and look to you as the wealth um, and the giver of wealth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. So if you have your Bibles with you, you could turn there. So Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to, uh, to 13, or if you have it on your phone, you can scroll there, but we're going to have it on the screen. And so Jesus says this, Jesus also said to the disciples, a certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate, and he called the manager in and said to him, what is this? I hear about you. Give me a report of your administration, because you are no longer to serve as my manager. So the household manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm far too proud to beg. Oh, I know what I'll do. I like how we're still in his head, right? Jesus is telling this parable. He's talking from this guy's perspective. He says this, Oh, I know what I'll do. When I'm removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. So one by one, the manager sent for each person who owed his master money, and he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. So the manager said to him, take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. And he said, take your contract and write 800. And the master commanded the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. Continuing on, people, Jesus says this, people who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are are the people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal homes. So whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Handful of things to take care of, to think of 
when we're reading this. First of all, many commentators argue over this passage because they're like, what is Jesus saying? This is a very challenging parable. This is probably like probably number one or number two of the most challenging parables that Jesus actually spoke to people. Second thing is that the, the translations in here are very interesting, and so we're going to focus on some of those as we're reading through. It's going to give us a clearer picture. But the other thing to also pay attention to is that in this parable, Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples because this is intimate stuff. Right? Politics, money, right, and sex. These are really strong topics, really intimate topics. So he's speaking directly to his disciples about how they look at money and what does it mean to have earthly wealth and to have true, genuine riches from God. And so here we see one thing in particular. Let's go back, let's look at this, let's look at this parable. So let's go back to verse one. It says, a rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. That word wasting is another, it could be translated scatter. So not only is he wasting it, it's like giving you the idea that he's like taking his finances and just throwing it away. Like it's like, it's not of any worth to him. He's doing something that's completely offensive to the rich man. So this is what the manager is doing. He's just throwing away his livelihood. That word estate could be livelihood, it could be assets. So what we need to understand this is that in this picture, this guy, this manager, is a manager of a lot, a lot of money at this time. So Jesus is giving the picture of not somebody who's just like a manager of like, you know, like a farm or something like that. This is a guy in, in context of today who is managing like thousands of dollars. Right? He's managing all kinds of money for this guy. And this rich man is extremely rich. We're going to find that out later as we go through this. So he's, he's, he's doing all this stuff, and then he says to the, the rich man says, you are accused of this, and he doesn't even fight back. He's like, yep, I am accused of this. I am in trouble. You know, before Enron, there was this guy, right? He's like, I'm in trouble. Like, something bad's going to happen to me. So he just makes a quick decision. This is how I'm going to get out of this. Makes a quick decision right away. This is how I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to relieve the debts of people. Who, um, who have debts to the rich man. So what does he do right away? He has them come in individually. There's some really specific things here that are really interesting to see. He says, come in here quickly and sit down. So he has them come in and sit down and write out new bills. A lot of commentators are saying what he's probably doing is he's removing the interest. So the interest that he might have taken for himself He's removing that interest from these guys who have all of this product, all of these um, possessions. And we're, what we can see here is that we're not dealing with a little bit of possessions. We're dealing with lots and lots of wealth. Like this one trader who's very likely trading 900 gallons of olive oil. At this time, that could be worth three years, like a three-year salary. So think about your own salary times it by three years, right? So he's relieving that kind of debt from these guys. He's taking it off them because he's thinking to himself, if I do this, these guys that I'm relieving the debt from, they're going to welcome me into their houses because I'm too poor. I'm going to be too poor if I'm kicked out of this house. I won't be able to, get, I won't be able to find work. I'm going to have to, you know, dig and, and go back to agrarian society and become a farmer. 
And I'm way, way, way too ashamed to beg because I've had this high position and now I'm going to have to beg for money. So he's like, this is how I'm going to do it. These people are going to take care of me if I do this. And then what does the rich man say, right? And this is the stuff that a lot of people get confused about here in this part. What does the rich man say? He says, since, he says, he actually commends the manager for doing this dishonest thing. He's looking at what he's doing, and he's like, look at this guy's desperation. Look at his motivation. He's like, good for him. You know, take care of yourself. That's, that's, that's what you should do. You should probably do your best to get someone else to like you so you could go live with them because of what you've done. Now, some people want to look at this passage and say, okay, okay, in the parable, who's God? Is God the rich man? Are we the dishonest manager? Like, um, is that how we should relate to God? Is God saying we should be dishonest? What's happening here? Let's just set, let's just set the... Let's just set this straight. Jesus is basically just giving a story, giving a picture of how the world behaves. He's just giving a picture of how people who are not part of the family of God, who do not understand God's riches, what they will do to survive. And he's saying, look at the motivation that they have when they're dealing with wealth that is of limited time for limited value in a limited arena. Look what they're willing to do with that because all they know is YOLO, right? That's all they know. You only live once. So look at what they're committed to do. That's why the rich man could say, YOLO, go bro, like do your thing because you know, like you gotta find life. You gotta find, you gotta find security in life somewhere. Good for you. So Jesus is saying, look at what these unbelievers are capable of doing. But he says this statement that obviously, this is the one statement that a lot of people have trouble with. Even I had trouble with when I was looking at it. Jesus says this, people who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are the people who belong to the light. Jesus is saying, look at their motivation when they're dealing with earthly, worldly, in Maybe not insignificant, but insufficient wealth. Look what they're willing to do with this little thing. Look what they're willing to do with monopoly money. Look at their motivation. When how my people should view that type of wealth that they have, they should view it in the light of their godly riches, of how valuable of what they have in Christ, of how valuable of what they have in God, rather uh, then looking like, okay, well, I'm only going to live once. I'm going to have to just do whatever I can to survive. The next verse is this. Even if you go to verse 9, he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal homes. All right, we're going to create a new theology structure, people, today. It's a new discipleship structure. Don't worry, I got a book. It's a devotional this is how you're going to make it in life. You ready for this? Don't worry, you can buy it on Amazon if you can't buy it here. I don't have it at the back, okay? This is how you're going to make it in life. Do whatever you can with your worldly wealth to make friends. And then, guess what? When you make lots of friends, you'll have a good time here, and then you'll be, able, then you'll be welcomed into eternal homes. Is that the way that we should be looking at this passage? You're scratching your head. Well, that certainly looks like how it's being read, right? 
Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yes, you have worldly wealth. You have worldly wealth for a limited, of limited value for a limited time for a limited arena. And yes, you have that wealth and it is useful for blessing people. It's useful for taking care of your family. It's useful for providing food for you. It's useful for buying lucky charms. All of these things are extremely good. They're not of insignificant, they're not of insignificant value. There's still a value to God. But the comparison of that to what God wants to give you is like a flashlight in the desert in broad daylight and there's no cloud cover. I mean, it's still a light, but it has nothing in comparison to what God will give you. God says, yes, look at these people. Look what they're willing to do with their little itty-bitty wealth for nothing. But what if you were to pay attention to what you've been given, to what I have given to you for a, a limited time in a limited arena of little value, but what you're willing to do with it, it has eternal consequences, and it is an opportunity for you to experience godly riches. Here, Jesus says you will be welcomed into eternal homes. This is a play on, on verse 4 where he wanted to go and use his wealth to go into other people's homes because he had relieved the debtors. He was hoping the debtors would take him into their home. This is a play on it. Now, here's the next part, right? Because Jesus is giving this parable to people who are under the law. And that's always the interesting thing when we go back and we look at the Gospels, right? Because he's talking to people who are under the law. And the law is this. You do this action, you do that action, you will be blessed. You do this action, you do that action, you'll be cursed. It's still based on performance. It's still a bar that in our humanity we cannot reach. So we need to look at this parable in light of the new covenant then. How can we look at this verse, verse 9, and see ourselves in it? Well, first and foremost, if you look, you don't even have to turn to these verses. You know, Matthew 25, verse 40, Matthew 25, verse 35, re reveal to us that it's not by works after the cross, after what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and his resurrection, it's not by works that we enter eternal homes. Correct? Right? It's not by works. Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, it's the gift of God that has saved you. It's the grace of God that has saved you and made you righteous. So, no, this is not how we enter eternal homes. However, there is a value system here that Jesus is pointing out. He is the one who, is, who has done the work to receive us into eternal homes. But does that remove the value from how we use our finances today? Well, no. It doesn't. However, there's something more for us to receive in how we go about thinking about our finances, and we're going to look at that together today. So Jesus goes on to verse 10. He says, Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. In this context, that little, again, is our earthly wealth. Little time, little value, little arena. But if we are considering how valuable, how, 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 how limited this time is and how we use it in comparison to what, we, to what God wants to do, what God can give us, then we will live with more um, financial, actual financial security 
where we're trusting in him and resting in him on the subject matter. He goes on to say, if you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? In this topic, he's talking about not necessarily the wealth, like going to heaven and having a mansion in heaven. I mean, that could be part of it. But what is your own? What have you been given? You've been given the righteousness of faith. You've been given the adoption as children of God. You've been given that blessing. And so you can live out of that acceptance, out of that wealth of love and how you bless and treat others. Let's go on and look right now at this last verse, verse 13, uh, where Jesus says, no household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be loyal to one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. I am... Um, I would say that there is an example of true riches in my own life. There's an example of heavenly riches in my own life that I can't get my head around. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why I have it. And it's this. Um, I have two girls who, who go to this church, and they go in, they're part of the children's ministry, and there are people in the children's ministry who understand what it is to be beloved children of God. They understand what it is to be freed from the law, to be saved by grace. They understand what it is to experience and know the righteousness of God, and they could teach them about the love and the grace of God. This is of incredible value to me as a father because, like many of you, I didn't grow up with that understanding. I might have been exposed to the gospel. I might have been exposed to Jesus but I lived my life as though I had to earn this righteousness from him. And what did that do? It stressed me out. It made me think with everything that I do, with my finances, with, with how, I, how I, you know, what team I cheer for, you know, what Coke I drink. It made me think of all these things, like how am I going to make it to heaven? You know, every single day I'm counting the cost of the sins that I've done and what's going to happen to me in the future. And it stressed me out and it made my relationship with God a drudgery. I didn't know, I didn't know that I was missing out on true wealth. God revealed it to me. It was a series of events that brought me into a relationship with God where I experienced this true love and the true understanding of what it meant to be born again as a child of God, that there's no longer any more expectations between me and God, the things I need to do to be loved and be accepted by him. And now my children are part of a church where they can receive that understanding. Listen, guys, I, I couldn't make that up. I couldn't create it. Even the dream of it up is way beyond what I could have imagined. The value of this community for my family is true riches. You know why it's true riches? Because an understanding of the love of God and the acceptance of God for myself and for my family and for my children will mean that they will be able to express and live their lives out of, from that place. And that'll have future consequences for my children's children. You see what I'm talking about, true riches? It goes above and beyond your limited time of limited value in a limited arena. It's, it's true, it's completely impactful. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, Paul talks about spiritual things. He says, listen, I've given you guys spiritual things. Things that are way beyond finances. 
Listen, you could still give to my ministry, but listen, look at what I've given you. I've given you things that are of incredible worth. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, Moses says this. You don't have to turn there, but Moses says, look, he, Moses considered the reproach of Christ as wealth, and he rejected the treasures of Egypt. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, you most of you know this. This is Paul saying in prison, listen, God will supply all of my needs, everything I need from his riches. Even in that context, he's talking about money given to the church. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, you also know this very well. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, what we're dealing with here is that we're not dealing with just necessarily how we can find true wealth on our own ability. True wealth comes from knowing and being known by the giver of wealth. And as we turn our attention to him and we focus on him, what we find is that not only does he give the power to make wealth, if that's the need, but he provides in ways that you can't even put a num- you can't even put a price tag on it. I can't put a price tag on what this community means to my family. Some of you can't do that either. You know that. What it meant to be received as a child of God and loved in this community, you can't put a price tag on that. But in other ways, God is more than willing, more than capable and able to provide for us in whatever our needs are. But if we're distracted in considering only what we've been given for a little time of a little value in a small arena, if we're focused on that, we're robbed, we're distracted by the peace that we can have when we focus on the wealth that we have in Christ. Jesus goes on to say this, that you, this is the crux of it. This is the crux of the whole passage. See, wealth is something amongst many things that we can be mastered by. And I'll say this to end. It's one of those things that we can be mastered by because we were created to be mastered by something. Each and every one of us were created to be dependent on life with God. So sin comes into the mix Right through Adam, we all have this thing inside of us that is making us independent. It's forcing us, it's convincing us, it's trying to do our, its best to distract us from being completely dependent on God. But we were created to be dependent on him. And so the temptation can be to go to other things to find life. You could go not only to possessions. You can go to people. You could go to position. You can go to people's praise as a way to find life. You can also go to finances to be a place where you find security in life. But all of these things are temporal. They're not eternal. And they're not where the life is. The life is found in him. So Jesus makes it very clear. He says, listen, you were created to be mastered by something. Do not be mastered by wealth. But instead, be Mastered by God. Let God be your master. You cannot have, you can't be in between. There's no gray area. You're either mastered or you're dependent on God or you're distracted by earthly wealth. I was a little boy, I was about five years old. I'm, I'm playing soccer and I'm in net. I'll say this to close. Standing there in net and um, the guy's like, yeah, you go be goalie. The coach is like, you go be goalie. So I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to be goalie. I'm standing in the net. And then another teammate who was just in net was standing to the, 
on the goalpost. I'm here, like, doing my best to, to, to block the, the balls as they come. And this kid starts talking to me. He's like, blah, 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 Ninja Turtles. I'm like, that's all you need to distract me. <laughs> At this stage of my life, you just need to say that, right? Oh, Raphael this, Michelangelo that. Yeah, yeah, do you have the nunchucks? Yeah, I have nunchucks. I just start talking to this kid. <laughs> and then, like, what's happening? I'm in net. Balls start coming at me, right? And they're going in the net, and I'm talking to this kid. And I, like, I'm a nice guy, right? Like, I'm doing my best. Like, like he's talking to me like, I'll just be a good friend and, and talk to you. Completely distracted. Afterwards, the coach is like, uh, Robin, next time when you're in net, we want you to, like, stay in the net and stay focused on the ball. I was five years old. I remember this, yo. <laughs> I remember this. Legit, I remember this. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I should. <laughs> Stay focus on the real thing. Why are you here? It's the same for us. Yes, God does put value on possessions. God does put value on money. God does put value on people and things in your life but we've been given a purpose for a limited time to live in the knowledge of the riches that we've been given in Christ and letting that knowledge affect how we use this. We've been given a little bit of time to allow that to affect this and make friends. I mean, bless people. Your finances are not yours. They are from God. And you are a steward of what you've been given for a limited time. Yes, it's a little value, but you've been given a little bit of time to use it. And how you use it can have eternal value. It can have eternal value. This is a great opportunity for a pastor to say, okay, guys, now we're going to pass the tithing plate around. <laughs> right? This is a perfect time for me to say, how are you giving to the church today? This is a perfect time to say, look at how old my Nikes are. <laughs> Let's go, people. Pass that plate around. You know what? You've been created to be dependent on God, and you are dependent on God. You are. Because that's what your spirit is. You've been given a new resurrected spirit in Christ. When he died and he rose again, he gave you a new spirit that is connected to him. You are dependent on God. But you have this thing called sin that's distracting you. It's on the other goalposts, trying to get your focus off what you've been made to do and the riches that you've been given in Christ. And sometimes we get tempted to kind of go fall and get, get distracted and, and anxious and frustrated and we're sweating. We're experiencing the curse all over again when we've been freed from the curse. And the key is, we have been freed. We have been freed. So we can live in the freedom that we have. Freedom is an important word. Because you are free to use that a little value thing for a little value time as he leads you and as he guides you. There is a message about tithing that I am not worthy <laughs> of whose sandals I'm worthy to untie. Um, there, is a, there is a sermon from Pastor Ross that you guys got to listen to uh, about tithing. If you guys are new to our community, you got to go back in our, in our podcast. You got to go back on the website to go and find this where, where Pastor Ross talks about this so boldly about how God views our finances now as in the new covenant. 
and it'll give you a bigger and a greater understanding of what it means to give and to donate and to give to the church. But I will very basically say this, that we have been given the freedom now to listen to God, to be inspired by him in how we give. And that is true freedom. That is giving from a cheerful heart because I can give from the joy of wealth of me looking at even just the basics of the value of my children being able to experience the new covenant teaching that is present in this church. And that fills my heart with cheer. It fills my heart with love. It fills my soul with contentment because I could never purchase this on my own ability. It was only God. And then from that wealth of affection, I handle my finances. I could treat my neighbors with respect. I can, I can, I can not get mad at bad drivers. I could take the riches of what I've experienced here and have it transfer over here for this little bit of time that I have. It's a wonder. So obviously, this is a great opportunity for me to give you an application and say, okay, this is how you do things God's way with your money. This is all I'm going to say. You do not want <laughs> to be faithful to me in how you handle your finances. You are called to be faithful to him. As he leads you, if you are anxious today about your finances, if you are experiencing financial insecurity, you are called to be faithful to him, not to me, not to a, self, not to a Bible study on money. You are called to be faithful to him as he leads you, as he instructs you. Let him inspire you to make decisions when it comes to your finances. But not only your finances, there's so many other ways. But let's live in the dependence that we have in him and experience the wonder of the riches that we have in our relationship with him because it has unlimited value for an unlimited time in an unlimited arena. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. I pray that this morning that you would um, inspire us to realize how beloved we are. Um, people talk about, you know, cattle on a thousand hills and all this stuff, you know, and it's, you know, what, what's, what is the most richest, what's the most wonderful thing you've given us? Your acceptance. We're approved. So in whatever ways this morning that we cannot receive that, I pray that you would uproot and even on their own behalf, as people who are listening to me, I uproot on their behalf any stronghold of thinking that prevents them from receiving the truth today, that they are beloved, accepted, approved children of God. And let this truth, let this understanding be the reason for them to live and experience you today. That's now in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.